Yeah, you have a dumb cold open. Yeah. <clears throat> it's uh it's very fitting or um funny that Kieran, we've been taken to calling this uh recording configuration the Polish uh the Polish coalition. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. our our recently departed friend, Prince Philip <laughs> Prince Philip Prince Philip, uh yeah. the Duke of Edinburgh famously um would call would ask people if they're Polish or not. And tell them they're acting Polish. <laughs> <laughs> one of his very, one of his many, um, you know, humorous uh, gaffes and uh, like, oh, there's old Prince Philip again. <laughs> down at the shop, down at the local. <laughs> um, I wonder what um, racist things he would say to Irish people. I don't know if you have any in mind. Maybe, maybe, oh. maybe topical for for today. Like, are you one of ours then? Just going up to asking people that. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly it. I, I I struggle because okay, yeah, yeah, he's a very strange one, I guess. Because did he? No, I guess he lived through the troubles. But at that point, like by the time the troubles rolled around, we were t- we were dealing with punished Philip. <laughs> um... <laughs> Hey, 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 this is your weekly corner, Spatey. It is the, uh, as alluded to in the cold open, the Polish coalition. Uh, um, the punished coalition. The punished coalition. <laughs> punished coalition is the Polish coalition just after they've finished eating a whole raw onion. I thought you were going to say in 1990, but that works too. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Solidarish, Solidarnish coalition, whatever. <laughs> Punished Solidarnish. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's me and Rob. We're going to talk about uh, uh, Northern Ireland. Yeah, uh, we got a pretty he- news-heavy episode. There's some stuff going on in Northern Ireland. A week plus of, of riots and street, um, I don't know what you would want to call them, protests, actions, mm. um, activity. That is connected to the larger politics of Brexit, Irish history, uh, the downfall of British capitalism, and much more. <laughs> so we, just, we gotta we gotta it's like i'm gonna react to the downfall of british capitalism <laughs> in the same way like any any musician when they say your hometown <laughs> like when they're on stage yeah yeah yeah. Just like, yeah in the stadium <laughs> when they want the crowd to cheer they just put that on the mega the megatron yeah i always love being here in moonster <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah but, uh, oh God, where to start with this? I mean, the fun thing that's been happening on Twitter is suddenly like a lot of people having to come to terms with just what loyalists are. Like a lot of like, uh, people probably saw it on my Twitter of just like, Andy No was having like, t- tried to talk about these riots. <laughs> and a lot of comments of people being like, how can the IRA be Catholic and socialist? I don't understand. <laughs> or um, other people be like, those Antifa thugs won't stand a chance once the IRA roll around. Is like, you, you, you do not know what's happening here. Yeah, um, yeah, great fun. I love, I love these hot takes. Um, it was a, it was a brief silver lining in what was a very troubling period for most of Irish Twitter. Um. Solidarity with 
anyone who's on the subsection of Northern Irish Twitter and has to see the like hot takes from Yanks, mainland Brits, and or just like free staters. It's it's not a good time. I just saw a lot of people getting really pissed. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. If if you're if this applies to you, you should like strategically deploy maybe monkey videos. Uh, you know, something to distract people um, mm. to get get them off your block. You know, get some breathing room. I did retweet a monkey tweet that's just like that monkey's a person. Monkey's a whole person, just <laughs> eating nuts. I love him. Um, yeah. So to go into to the context of what's actually happening over over there, um, over the past week, as Rob said. Uh, Northern Ireland has seen the worst rioting in years of sensitivity over uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol. The Northern Ireland Protocol is a part of the overall Brexit agreement that stated that there was going to be a border between, a customs border largely, between Northern Ireland and the island of Britain in the Irish Sea, usually referred to as the border in the Irish Sea. The only other option is to have a border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, which that was a little too retro for some people to put it lightly and uh, what caused the problems before. So yeah, that option wasn't really tenable. Well, it means something. I, I'm going to try to ventriloquize the dumb questions throughout the episode, but like, I mean, it does show that like, yeah, we're this or like uh, the people making the decisions. So, you know, uh, the, the Tory government, you know, the Brits, they're like, well, we'd rather have the. You got to put the border somewhere, right? According, if like yeah. to make this agreement work with the EU, and does it say that they're? I don't know if more scared is the right word, but like they'd rather, um, you know, piss off Northern Ireland than, I don't know, uh, or piss off the the Unionists versus piss off the the Irish. Um, you know, I forget the other Republicans. one. The Republicans, yeah, yeah. Um, like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta pick your fire, right? Yeah, you pick gotta your pick poison. your poison. I guess the 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 um, now pick your fire. Yeah, the different types of fires <laughs> that we have. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, my suspicion, and all right, so this is not. Kieran is going to say a bunch of stuff now that is not verifiable, but very likely. Um, Northern Ireland historically has been crawling with MI5 um, <laughs> due to historical reasons. Let's That's go. What MI5 is one to do. And my guess is that the Tories, possibly foolishly, or possibly on the assurances of the DUP, uh, who were saying this foolishly, thought they could keep the loyalist paramilitaries in check. Um that would be my guess. And both of those and both of those people as we'll get into later were probably going like were attempting to use the loyalist paramilitaries in a bargaining position. First the DUP would use it to get what they want out of the Westminster government. And then the Westminster government of Boris Johnson would use it to get what they want from Brussels. And we might still see more of that mm. now that the tensions have flared up. Um, but the other thing is, like, the opinion in the Republic of Ireland, I, I know a lot of people who do think this, I don't know how true it is, but the structures of loyalist paramilitaries are also less organized and a good bit older than Republicans. 
Okay. Um, that would be the other take as well. The Republicans could mount a more threatening front if pissed off, basically. Gotcha. Wait, if I can follow up on this for a second. So yeah. it seems like the implication, because it's, the articles you sent kind of imply um, that the um, violence is kind of out of con- like out of the hands of the uh, political uh, unionists. Like, you know, they've always, you know, used this as like a, um, what's the analogy? Like a dog on a, on a leash. And now it's, you know, they, they have the leash, but the dog's off running around. Yeah, and yeah, th- yeah. that kind of implies a bit of, I mean, it, it assigns culpability in the sense that, yeah, this is how, um, you know, politics can work between like the, the, the electoral party and like the paramilitary groups on the ground or and even paramilitary is maybe too, um, a word that implies like a more coherent organization than, than maybe it is. But like, what you're saying or maybe what it sounds like is that um, groups in Northern Ireland or loyalist groups can then say, I mean, three paramilitary groups kind of announced in explicit protest of the um, Northern Ireland protocol that, okay, we're, what's the right word? Like uh, withdrawing from the Good Friday agreement, no longer acknowledging it. Yeah. And then, and now this like less than a month later is, is what's, is what's kicked off. So, do you agree that that is like basically what happened? Like that that they are, um, because most of the the rioters are between twelve and eighteen, right? Like their kids, uh, their teenagers. Um, is that? Would you agree with that? That, sorry, agree to what? Sorry, like, like it's like young, it's like teenagers, like, um. Like uh, it's, it says here in one of the articles that the predominantly working class Protestant youths, 12 to 18. Mm. And so would yeah. you would you say it's accurate that they are kind of being deployed to the uh, to an end by loyalist Northern Irish uh, parties or is it more independent or what? It is definitely now independent. So like it depends what you mean by independent. Uh, a thing that I probably have to bring up now is uh, a thing called the LCC, the Loyalist Communities Council. Um, they are a um, God, it's a group basically. I, I, I yeah, um, founded in 2015. It includes representatives from the UVF, the that's the Ulster Volunteer Force the UDA or the Ulster Defense Association and the Red Hand Commando. Um, those are like the three groups that pulled out of pulled out of the uh, what they would call the Belfast Agreement, the Good Friday Agreement. Because Good Friday is too Catholic. Um, <laughs> I, I kid you. I not. never realized. Yeah, I mean, now now I see it, but I, that's, that's funny. Yeah. So they are they do seem to be showing some sort of coordination in this um and i think they're calling the shots like there there was uh skipping ahead a little bit in the notes but like they sent out texts and stuff to businesses to like shut up shop and like board their uh, uh you know their establishments and protect against these rights they're going to go on because businesses are not largely the targets of these kind of rights it's usually just catholic communities and homes uh maybe some catholic owned businesses so yeah 
Um, they are being deployed, but independently. Like they they have their own organization that's not not political, but extra paramil um, extra uh, parliamentary. Like they they it's independent from any kind of like parliament politics. Okay. Before I want to get back to the narrative because I'm I'm worried I'm bogging it down with my dumb questions, but. I guess I guess what I've what I wanted to ask is how would this look different if they were being instrumentalized by Boris or the Tories? Because you said that that's also like like a theoretical possibility. Like if if things were in a different situation, what does can, just can you elaborate on that? Um, they were kind of being instrument like instrumentalized before. Basically, what they what it looked like before was basically a a, a boogeyman. Um, I mean, it was a boogeyman as far as London was concerned, as far as Westminster was concerned. It, they're so far removed from this. Um, but basically, just the, the the kind of resistance to some sort of agreement that didn't involve a border in the Irish Sea was like, oh, this will p- piss off uh, a very loud, echoey, loyalist paramilitaries, like underlined, boldened, italicized. Like, that was the extent they were being, like, utilized before. Mm-hmm. Um, historically as well and I don't know the stories of this too much so don't necessarily quote me on this but like they have been used into intimidating like nationalist candidates from not running in certain parts of Belfast and other parts of Northern Ireland much to like the DUP's benefit okay so that's how they've been utilized in the past this this kind of largely looks like they're out of control like what's happening now because the the border in the Irish Sea thing is Boris's agreement. Yeah, like like, like is, he is no he has shown no like like I mean he want his whole thing was get Brexit done and now it's done. Yeah, right. So yeah, exactly. Um, what I'm talking about, what I alluded to earlier, is that the DUP and Boris Johnson will use this, you know, the crisis tunity or whatever the 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 uh, uh, no never waste a good crisis kind of thing. Um, they will kind of like utilize that to some extent now that it's happened, but I don't think it was orchestrated is basically my point. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's, let's get into some of the the details here. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you mentioned that uh, typically what happens is to attack uh, Catholic neighborhoods. It sounds like for the past week or so, it's been mostly uh, like fighting with the police um you have here that a car was rammed into the peace wall so that's on the um shanko road right and there have been some uh, attacks like this bus uh being petrol bombed but it's like it sounds like there haven't been that many attacks on catholic areas yet am i wrong about that well no because an attack on the peace wall would be an attack on a catholic community peace wall is erected between a loyalist community and a nationalist one so attacking the peace wall is uh, attacking the community there has been largely because it will not that it would go unreported but it's like maybe so frequent but there has been like the lobbing of stones and glass bottles over walls and stuff like that into catholic communities Mm. um from certain positions Another term that we might have to become familiar with to understand Northern Ireland is um, an interface area, which is a part of the city where a Catholic community and a 
um, Protestant community, a loyalist community meet. And there has been a lot of tensions in those in the last week due to like the petrol bomb situation of the bus resulting in like Catholic youths coming out to the interface areas as a kind of form of self-defense being like, look, we're not going to take this lying down, blah, blah, blah. In terms of like police, um, I've only seen small confrontations between loyalist communities and the police. Um, they believe that the police are their enemy, the PSNI. Um, but, uh, God. So, jumping ahead a bit of the timeline again, is that when the PSNI kind of responded to this stuff, um, leaders within the police kind of met with members of the LCC to kind of like, kind of calm tensions, like, hey, is there some sort of agreement we can reach? While that was happening, water cannons were being deployed on, like, nationalist Catholic youths. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, we're willing to come to the table and break bread with the loyalist paramilitaries, but these 18-year-old Catholics were going to, like, use a form of riot dispersal that is, like, deemed illegal in the rest of the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot of um, back and forth with the, um, like, accusations um as I understand it, one of the like claims of why the riots are starting is because um, of a funeral for um, this veteran Republican Bobby Story last year, and like they were violating COVID restrictions, and the police didn't do anything. And so then they're like, "Oh, but you did to us." But then that's actually not true. Is there like, is is it just something that both sides claim to each other, or is there more of like a bias, or like? the police are use more force with um, Catholic nationalist youth. Yeah. Uh, I guess to, uh, to frame it in a way that I think most American leftists would understand is, um, did like, did the end of the civil war end racism in the United States is basically kind of the thing. That's kind of the role of what like a post good Friday agreement, Northern Ireland kind of looks like is like, yeah, you, you did some stuff that were big stuff and we really appreciate it, but it doesn't remove a lot of the structural problems. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, I, I think it's pretty been pretty well documented, especially since 2016, but there's probably a lot of stories. There's a lot of stories of this occurring beforehand that like the PSNI still treats the, um, still treats the loyalist unionist community better than it does to, um the nationalist community in particular with the covid stuff i've heard a lot of stories of just like the police in in northern ireland cracking down on like violations of covid stuff in catholic communities that were happening much faster and more brutally than violations of covid restrictions in uh protestant loyalist communities what about the organization of the um you mentioned before that like the leaders of these um, paramilitary groups can like you know break bread with the police um mm. what like what level of organization are they showing or can we so like the, the the rioters are independent of like any let's say political parties for it seems yeah. like but like insofar as um the like people have issued death threats against port workers and you already alluded to like um coordination like and warnings to businesses like what does what's the i don't know the network here um and like who has what level of power 
So the loyalist paramilitaries are very interesting because like they've kind of they've just kind of split into like a whole bunch of different things. Uh, I, I guess we can talk about that a little bit later. In terms of control, there was something that happened today that I think the article that we were like that we were reading kind of. Um, the article we were reading posited that these kind of like loyalist paramilitaries actually don't have a lot of control over um, the rioters, basically. And I think that's now kind of been disproven. Uh, there was something that happened earlier today. Um, yeah. Because uh, there was a whole bunch of planned protests Um that were going to happen in loyalist communities planned for yesterday, so Thursday the uh, 9th as of recording, that were basically all cancelled last minute. Um, which most people on the ground are like, yeah, the LCC is kind of calling the shots. To have like a coordination, coordinated cancelling of all these kind of protests mm-hmm. um, kind of shows that the LCC is still in control of these areas. Um, I think it was because there was some rhetoric about pumping money into the communities, these left-behind communities, but the problem with pumping the money into the communities is the paramilitaries are still kind of in control. It's basically just giving money to the paramilitaries. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to kind of like, not to be against redistribution, but like, you have to come up with a way that does like blanket redistribution or a way that doesn't like target communities uh, even favorably because that is going to a bunch of former paramilitaries who are now like mostly drug dealers. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a question I want to like, you have a whole section here on like the, the possibly dying unionism, like from like a maybe ideological theoretical point of view, but just the, like makeup of the groups and the youth gangs, if that's the right word, like what, what, what is their role like nowadays in Northern Ireland? Um, so I guess, Jesus, it, it's largely in the role. That is a good question. So I, I would say most loyalist paramilitaries in particular, um, have capitalized on giving a voice to uh, the poor working class Protestants, which um, left behind is kind of like a wrong term, but no, maybe it's not. They're they're kind of like a, a, a group of people who are kind of left out of the narrative, much in the same way that you get again in the United States making comparison to white working class. They feel incredibly aggrieved. Um, and there's definitely a, a a huge problem with them not understanding that, like, yeah, your situation is shit, but it would be much shitter if you were black working class. Um, these people feel like they're left behind because the understanding of uh, unionists and um, Protestants in Northern Ireland is that they are pro- like middle to upper class, um, which is true for the majority of them. And, like the Catholic population in Ireland does skew more working class, but then they just feel like they've been kind of like left behind in the like framework of Northern Ireland. Of like, they kind of think when working class in Northern Ireland is mentioned, Oh, you must mean Catholics mm-hmm. and not us. Um, 
Yeah. There's also and not to interrupt, yeah, but maybe it adds it like when when I read about it, there's often like a demographic angle mentioned. And when I looked it up, it didn't seem that dramatic to me. Maybe it's just it's like a small population in total, like what a million and a half people, right? Or or yeah, a million and a half. And so like I think like the uh like it's like ten percent or like eight percent more Catholic maybe 5% less Protestant or something like that, which doesn't seem like a, a dramatic shift to me, but like, I guess that plays into part of this feeling left behind and feeling, um, yeah. I mean, that certainly often as we see lends itself to like reactionary, um, ideologies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so it's worth pointing out that the, the, the LCC that I alluded to, specifically formed in as the as the council in 2015 the paramilitaries are older but they formed in 2015 supposedly to represent um the protestant working class mainly of neighborhoods like shankill in belfast and stuff like that which is featured quite a bit in the rundown of like what's happening up in northern ireland um but then and i don't think this is this is kind of like historically true as well for the history of northern ireland including the troubles these people become the um, foot soldiers of um, loyalism, basically. They're, they're the uh, like the the bougie people who are willing to take up arms get like hired by MI five, basically. <laughs> like uh, these are the ones out in the streets. Um, sure. Yeah. So that's kind of the role, and in an extent, there is a. Um, there's a little bit of truth to it as well. Like there's, there are people who are kind of left behind in the sense of like Northern Ireland is a, a victim of Thatcherism as much as like Northern England, Scotland and Wales. Um, but then uh, these people then kind of like take on these roles of community leaders, but then just solidify their power within that position by appealing to sectarianism mm-hmm. again. It seems like, if I can speculate a bit, it seems like, like the Northern Ireland, the like in Northern Ireland, the like political or social, like it's almost more codified, like because of like power sharing agreements and because of like this kind of like organization, like if you imagine like why like a let's say a reactionary like white uh, like working class, maybe not even work class, white aggrieved um mm. maybe downwardly mobile um group and let's say i don't know germany or the united states like uh, it's it's kind of like harder to get a grasp of the dynamics because there are people who you know have no way up uh you know who decide to vote for i don't know whatever party it is is representing this at the moment trump gop or afd or whatever but like mm. th- at the same time there's like just like a absurd web of like money and people like being like yeah i like i'm a i'm a landlord of some like small east german town i own like hundreds of apartments here but like i this movement represents me and that's not really it just seems like in northern ireland in, in in my impression that kind of like hierarchy is more codified because there's like the young like people in the street and there's like uh, unionist political parties and then there's unionist uh, paramilitary groups and like everyone kind of has like a defined role or something um, mm. that's 
I don't know if that's useful at all, but that's a kind of impression I get that you can almost like differentiate more between like, oh, you're like a you're a teenager out on the street versus you're like a member of this paramilitary group versus you're a politician or et cetera. Um, I don't know what you make of that. Yeah, I mean, there's something about like, there's something that, I mean, I think you could say the same for like racism in the United States of we've, we've mapped this, we've mapped something else onto class society, almost. We, we've found another signifier for uh, what was there and what we didn't have the vocab for. Um, I don't know if I said that, but I'll take it. Well put. Because <laughs> um, that's definitely what was the case of like Troubles and um, pre-Troubles Northern Ireland was Catholic was effectively your shorthand way of saying like like unwashed masses, lumpen proletariat of Northern Ireland these are the people who we kind of need as a labor force, but also at the same time don't really have a straight up role for within society. Um, it's It was like, I'm not sure if this is 100% true, but like, as far as I understand, builders in Northern Ireland were predominantly Catholic. Like, it was just like, they were the people out there like building the streets or buildings and blah, blah, blah. That was the work we got them. But like, shop owners were largely protestant and yeah things like that okay yeah i guess it seems it's, to it's like if you're like an aggrieved yeah if, if you're like an aggrieved political citizen let's say it just yeah. seems like they're more clearly defined roles like oh i will be you know i'll join a paramilitary group you know like versus like yeah i'm kind of in this party maybe you're even like you know uh, you know i don't know get violent or something but like it's much more it's less codified or something, if that makes sense. Like, it just seems like there are these roles that are defined in Northern Ireland from these different uh, groups. But the, um, I think the general thing, and we might allude to this later when we talk about alliance, but um, maybe what you're getting at is uh, the circumstances of Northern Ireland make fence sitting very unpopular thing to do. Mm-hmm. You basically will have to take a position on something, or you will be in a situation where you are forced to. The post-Good Friday agreement that kind of led to um, a whole generation of very apathetic Northern Irish people um, was kind of like the generation that came before them, their parents and stuff viewed that as like the privilege of being a young person in modern Northern Ireland. You don't have to take positions on these things. You can be apolitical. You can like live uh, uh, an unthinking, not like unthinking critically, but you know. I, I guess what I'm trying to say, I think I got it this time. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> there's a obviously there's a crisis of electoral politics and a lack of faith, increasing lack of faith in, or loss of faith, I guess I should say, in, you know, electoral parties on national level, on state level, whatever. And the alternative to that, a lot of, um, let's say, let's just take Germany, is it's not really clear. Like, people assume maybe and some people do become like oh that means i'm going to be like a right-wing paramilitary or neo-nazi then some people are like oh i'm gonna get really into you know stones and i'm just gonna be kind of esoteric you know and because there's not really like clearly defined alternative like that's uh like a kind of like false 
political organization. And then this is like the real coherent group. Like everyone's kind of grasping at straws. And I think looking at the situation in Northern Ireland, at, at first glance, there's, oh, like there's no faith in the, or, or there's a loss of faith in the established political parties. And we have this alternative here, paramilitary groups. But then like, at the same time, that's not really a, a, a good answer. Or like, that's like not being, that, that doesn't solve the, the problem because it is just like another band-aid over class society, right? But like, it's, it has some hot kind of veneer, whether it's like, I don't know, memeing the IRA or something. Like it has a certain veneer of like, oh, well, you know, they're getting closer to the root of uh, what's really going on in this in this crazy world we live in. You know, like political power involves, uh, you know, organizing in this way. But um, I don't know. It seems like, although it's uh, more socially uh, or legally uh, codified, it's still not really an empowering uh, politic. No, God. Sectarian. <laughs> <laughs> Anything sectarian in Ireland. Like it, it's worth pointing out that I, I, I think it's it's worth pointing out that basically everyone good in Northern Ireland, whether historically or present, have been like f- aggressively anti sectarian. Um as what they kind of view as a distraction. Uh, you mostly get this more on the Republican side because I think the Republicans view this as a this was a method of control like this sectarianism was instilled by um, the UK as a method of control over historically all of Ireland um, but now within the like stateless of Northern Ireland um, that's like the that's the kind of rhetoric of people like um oh my god i'm gonna get his name wrong well i I can say the person i know the name of certainly bernadette devlin uh who was like an irish socialist republican uh was very much like sectarianism was like a dead end um i think was his name eamon mcmahon he he uh recently retired uh from politics but he was um god what am i what am i thinking of uh yeah eamon mccann that's it yeah eamon mccann um who was a people before profit politician before he retired in the dairy count like local council but also one of the people involved originally in the in the civil rights strike that resulted in the troubles basically when that uh, civil rights protest was like massively beaten down by the local police that was like considered the watershed moment of troubles have now begun mm-hmm. um but also he was like firmly anti-sectarian as well he was uh he was a housing rights activist that recognized the problem was predominantly on like the catholic community of Derry that like faced housing shortages or like eviction problems but also were like i think the protestant working class neighborhood in Derry was called the falls and he was like he was him and his like comrades were very big into like we need to go over there and appeal to them as well this like housing crisis affects all working class people of Northern Ireland. Sure. But like, I guess my question is how, how, how would a political movement like that, like, yes, like housing or, I mean, being working class or, you know, these things that actually do get at the root of class society is like, would, uh, like loyalist uh, groups or working class people just be like, ah, oh, that's just republicanism. Like, or that's, you know, how, how, how does that not, or would that come across as a kind of sectarianism uh, because of, you know, 
the history. Yeah. I mean, it does. It's very hard to move a lot of people in Ireland, in Northern Ireland, in Ireland in general, away from these lines of thinking. But it does happen. Um, there's a great Irish history website called Tonistry, and the guy who writes that is a very interesting character as well because he's in around our age. He's a history student in uh, Queen's University in Belfast, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And he was being interviewed by the radio and stuff recently because he is what you would call like ethnically or culturally unionist who through his understanding of history has become like a Republican and has basically converted his family <laughs> to Republicanism, uh, even though they are Protestant. Yeah. We, we, yeah. we use the calipers. He does have the unionist brain skull shape. <laughs> um, he is fit for many jobs such as uh, um, running a business or becoming a police officer. Definitely not suited for the job of road laborer. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like it, this is the problem of like when talking with the troubles is like I, I can't remember. It's like socio-ethnic or like ethno-political is like the term they use to describe these distinctions because there's a huge overlap. Because like I said, like it's it's hard to describe him in particular, and he's not the only one of being like he comes from this Protestant background. His ancestry is. Um, scottish or english planters but he is a republican which republican is often a synonym for catholic and irish indigenous <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah um well i think sadly we're not gonna uh figure out the way forward uh in this hour of the podcast but um yeah. can you can can you explain this like i don't know like the historical background for like unionism since um you know the late 90s like you wrote you you called it like a paranoid possibly dying unionism um yeah take it away yeah okay yeah so this is this is kind of where i think this is coming from because you mentioned the like bobby story funeral as being like ostensibly or nominally the reason why these riots are occurring um any good crude materialist vulgar materialist which should look at that and go bullshit bullshit fuck off (laughs) (laughs) because that like i i don't even think like the people who are rioting i don't think believe that Mm -hmm. uh to be perfectly honest i don't think anyone who's riding up uh or any kind of source of media that's riding up these teenagers i really don't believe they're just getting fucking pissed about like people attending a funeral (laughs) um it's very hard to believe uh they will claim that for a justification reasons or whatever but like no fuck off um so the northern ireland part the northern irish protocol uh as a part of the brexit thing is really the reason why these riots are happening but also at the same time it is like it is a straw that broke the camel's back i think um because since the Good Friday Agreement, since the, uh, you know, these various concessions for both communities that resulted in A, a more democratic and equal Northern Ireland, B, a fluid understanding of Nor- Northern Irish citizenship. People can take one or both passports when they're born, British and Irish, um, which also meant like a more democratic Ireland and UK because that means that all Irish people can vote in the UK and vice versa um, if they live there because there's no distinguishing between someone born in the Republic and someone born in the North. 
Um, you also have like quotas for government, power sharing agreements, quotas for police uh, uh, institutions, blah, blah, blah. Um, and much like quotas for people of color and women into police uh, uh, stations in the United States. We realize this doesn't solve any kind of institutional problems, but that, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> the um, Yeah, so Good Friday Agreement does a lot of things. Um, but it's worth pointing out that logically geographically it always made more sense that northern ireland and ireland worked as one kind of cohesive economic unit um since the good friday agreement the most populated corridor on the island is the corridor between belfast and dublin stretching across the like northeast coast of ireland the island um because of course why wouldn't it be um so these kind of things start to arise um you know, and now we see a kind of maybe you could call it like a doomerism from a unionist perspective, because hmm. they basically feel like their ideology is at a dead end, or they don't see a future for it without like massive intervention. Um, and that was why the DUP voted for Brexit, uh, or why they advocated for people to vote for Brexit. And again, you can see that ideology dying because Northern Ireland as a whole voted to remain, despite DUP and the unionists being like, you should vote for Brexit. Um, and their reason for voting for Brexit was, this will distance us from Ireland, which is an EU member. That was like, they had no other, like, yeah, maybe they'd parrot some of the lines that like Nigel Farage was saying, but they really had no other reason for uh, doing it. Um so like that's that's like one great example. You have these other existential threat, threats to the UK as a whole. Um, you, you can go to like smaller ones, like you know this kind of weird crisis that's happening in the royal family now, where like Meghan Markle and Harry kind of prove to the world that you can just leave the royal family and it's <laughs> fine. You still get to be rich. Um, you still get to be a celebrity. Uh, you have, you know, Prince Philip dying and you have all those polls being like, as soon as Queen Elizabeth dies, Australia is gone. Canada's <laughs> gone. New Zealand is gone. <laughs> like, it would be funny uh, if in, in the histories they have to write, yeah, this like decrepit old man dying was, you know, really the catalyst for, <laughs> you know, the unraveling of this. Like, how old is the is the British monarchy? Thousands of years, yeah. years old. Uh, th- yeah, but that's like, that, that is just a very funny kind of like the Adam Curtis of 2100. And then a very strange thing was happening in Britain. A Greek man died. And that caused... <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's... That's kind of like less material, but like the most, the most royal family loving people are these people. Like, these are the people who are, I'm going to be every stereotype of a British person who fell through, like, the tourist office until I fucking die. Um, And then we have other issues, uh, other threats to the Union, existential threats to the Union, like rising popularity of Scottish independence, a decent idea. Rising popularity of Welsh independence, an insane idea. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, that's how, that's, do you want another Estonia? That's how you get another Estonia. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, we invented Welsh Skype and now we pay companies to be here. <laughs> um, 
you also have like this is less relevant but you have like the northern independence party which is advocating for an uh an independent north of england which i think mostly structurally exists to um pressure labor from the left in threat Mm -hmm. of stealing their seats um but like we'll see how that pans out they're very new but they are like avowed marxists and socialists so yeah um the i think before we go into the party politics because i think there's a lot to say about that i will go into some other kind of like longer liberal trends sure that are coming from the other direction that are threatening um unionism because i think as i said earlier unionism is i think i might have said this off mic so forget me uh forget that but like Unionism is very, like, unionism, especially immediately after Good Friday Agreement, was very, like, comfortable, was very middle class, um, was in America, in the UK, these would be your, like, Warren Democrats, these would be your Lib Dem voters, Mm -hmm. um, these would be, uh, like, your bog standard, like, sdp voter maybe like that's the kind of like role these people would like take politically maybe like the left wing of the tory party i don't know okay uh, or the left wing of the cdu and these are the kind of people who did cling to these arguments that are now no longer true about the relationship between ireland and northern ireland which is one at one point northern ireland was the more prosperous part of the island um northern ireland was the um manufacturing hub of the island which is also for the materialist reasons why all the protestants were allowed like live there instead of shop and why they got manufacturing investment in the first place is because they were london's favorite boys um (laughs) basically and that was also the part that had to come with the uk when ireland was getting independence Mm. but like now post thatcher um in the uk and now post celtic tiger in the republic of ireland where despite all of ireland's neoliberalism we have successively i think more successfully than northern ireland transitioned into a service-based economy um so we are on all like measurable figures and now which we want to scrutinize them we are richer than Mm -hmm. uh, northern ireland now um but there's a lot of critiques of gdp i know <laughs> would would they use the like language of progressive like what is the what is the exact language that northern ireland said like more tolerant or more like like to describe the the fact that they are like i don't know the, the, so, the better ireland <laughs> yeah yeah so going on to like the progressiveness stuff or quote unquote did they use the word progressive i don't know initially when partition was when partition basically happened and when the idea of Ireland becoming independent uh, was happening, there was a line that was quite popular, which was called, that was like anti-Irish independence. That was home rule equals Rome rule. (laughs) It's basically was the slogan. Uh, So it's, I think eventually at some point, maybe during the troubles, during the seventies, it became like, we are more progressive. We're more free. Tolerant is not the word I don't think they would use. <laughs> they certainly weren't that. Yeah, sorry, uh, sorry. I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, but like, uh, there's a lot of like grim stories of being like a South Asian person living in Northern Ireland. I'm sure. Um, but the 
I think progressive switch because initially it was just anti-Catholicism mm-hmm. as like a kind of backwards people. And unfortunately, they were correct for a good portion of Ireland's history. We were, uh, if you want, you can listen to our fun bonus episode about this, but um, we were effectively a Catholic theocracy for a great many decades. And we still haven't come to terms with a lot of the like horrible shit that we did in the name of the Catholic Church within our own borders, blah, blah, blah. Um, so they were unfortunately correct about that. Like I said in the bonus episode, when I was born, um, contraception in Ireland was illegal. And people did cross the border from the Republic to Northern Ireland to buy contraception. Um, some people just took the ferry over to England because it was less like, you know, guns. <laughs> <laughs> guns involved uh, it being waved in your face. But um, yeah, that was the thing. And now the reverse is true. Like when Ireland... Um, when you were allowed to get a same-sex marriage in Ireland, when gay marriage was legalized in Ireland, it came into effect. A bunch of people traveled from the north uh, down to get married uh, because it's still illegal there. Abortion is still illegal in Northern Ireland as well, even though it's legal in the rest of the country. And these were all the concessions that kind of like London Westminster made to keep control over that part of the country. Like you can have your weird kind of regressive in comparison to the rest of Britain society um, if you keep control there. The last kind of longer trend is a general one of like England or the UK or Britain maybe to be fair kind of going to shit uh, in, in a very particular way. So there's a lot of great podcasts out there who will talk about this, people who are more focused on, you know, UK who are based there and stuff like that. But like we have the like stop the bill protests and that bill is going to like make uh, protesting basically illegal. Mm. You have like the Tory government institutionally clamping down on like travelers, like a whole ethnicity basically deemed illegal to live they w- the way they want to live. Um what else you have like the whole situation in in liverpool where the most notoriously anti-tory city in the country has basically had their local government like seized and taken control of and like a tory uh bureaucrat has been like put in charge of it has been like appointed um with like zero democrat uh, say in that and then like all the while having a um all the while having an opposition in the Labour Party under Keir Starmer's Labour that is not providing any opposition at all. Um, oh god! And then you had that fucking bill that sorry, you had that bill that was like, yeah, all crimes committed by undercover cops are legal. <laughs> and that, yeah, I didn't like, hear about that one. I just read it in the notes, which is like, uh, how, how do you bring that up? It's like. Yeah, don't ask why we're passing this now. Just, uh, just, just been on, just been on a big old pile of papers. Just, just got to it now. <laughs> no, it was a court case, and I think it was actually more directly related to Northern Ireland as well. Oh, of like, this woman was raped by an undercover cop, and he's like allowed to get away with it. Yeah, um, crazy, which is not fun. Um, and like, while this is a problem for the UK as a whole. I think the thing to couple with this 
in particular is that Northern Ireland is so peripheral to the UK that the propaganda machine that kind of keeps the English in line and is kind of like convincing them that this is good are like, these problems aren't real problems. It's just a bunch of like woke SJWs complaining, blah, blah, blah. Like that machine doesn't exist in Ireland Mm -hmm. or Northern Ireland anyway. Basically Northern Ireland is like, well, you have half the population that's probably watching more Irish media than British media. Um, Northern Ireland doesn't have a presence of like any of the established like British parties, the, the Tory party in Northern Ireland, the Labour Party, the Lib Dems, they're all fucking jokes up there. Like, there's no institutions to, like, relay the message that what's happening in the UK is, you know, good um, at the moment. And that's, like, what is probably... Like, all this stuff is, like, very... Most of that stuff is very ideological, very kind of, like, liberal-leaning, especially about the, like, prosperity and progressiveness stuff. But that does appeal to the soft unionist, the kind of unionists who are not the kind of people who went out in marching season, are not people who wanted to ever associate with the paramilitaries. They just genuinely were like Protestant from the unionist tradition. And like their main argument probably was the reason why they were like unionists was, oh, we're richer. Oh, it's like better to have a condom. Like, <laughs> um, yeah and now those like all that's kind of like fallen apart Mm -hmm. um so yeah it might win over some kind of like salt of the earth uh kind of like protestant working class like the people who were left behind when manufacturing died um because they probably remember they probably remember the days of like a decent labor party uh, and they were probably were inspired maybe by a Corbyn labor that was maybe a bit more reminiscent of that like strong labor uh, union associated labor mm-hmm. and like how that's kind of been destroyed because um, I think that was always more successful up there like or that version of labor was more successful in Northern Ireland than like Blairite labor certainly mm-hmm mm-hmm I, I want to talk a bit about this alliance. Um, you mentioned them, right? Um, I was, I was looking. I mentioned them briefly. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just can, can you go into this party a bit more? Just because I love the idea of it. Um, <laughs> like, like the liberal. Because I think a lot of people, you know, uh, Americans for sure, and others are like, on Northern Ireland, where all the crazy paramilitaries are, and I just love the idea of the alliance being like, um, if woke is not the right word, then like the above it all, like smug liberal version like northern uh, northern uh, ireland edition yeah yeah so alliance is like a very yeah you're right it's a very interesting like character in northern irish history um they i think like in any other circumstance if northern ireland was not a country that had a history of sectarian violence of like this weird apartheid state that existed for 50 years um this would be a very successful party <laughs> this would be like um, like a normal like democrat u.s democrats british lib dems maybe like a more chill version of the ftp uh kind of party that appeals to like small business owners and like professional managerial class blah 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 
they they kind of have this historiography of the troubles that is very problematic but like is unfortunately like the dominant message especially of like media and creative types both in northern ireland and ireland uh of like sectarianism is silly wasn't that <laughs> silly and uh, both sides were silly but the republicans were the most most silly um just to be clear <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah just to be clear it's very like the the, the animal farm line of like some animals are more equal than others mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> some wings of the sectarian conflict are more silly than others basically um so naturally the, like because of this trying to be above it all they uh, when during the troubles they were very much a party of the status quo which was basically a party that sided with the the protestant unionist population because they had the status quo that was like working for them and i think i mentioned to you earlier that during the troubles they had like the very patronizing campaign slogan of like a poster that was just you know their colors which is yellow and black um alliance you know it's the right choice <laughs> like just like <laughs> it sounds like a candy bar or something yeah or just like <laughs> like okay you had your fun voting for shin fei but now stop it Stop yep, it. Yep. Stop stop us. Come on. Come on. Eat your <laughs> eat your dinner. Stop stop throwing your yeah, food around. Yeah, yeah, eat your fucking vegetables. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um some Northern Irish comrades I, I've heard describe like the conventional um media narrative of like sectarianism has basically coincided with despite their historical unpopularity, has coincided with their message of like what my Northern Irish friends refer to as Alliance Corps of like mm. uh, i think the most famous example is the um zombie by the cardigans is a great alliance course ah uh, okay yeah yeah, yeah. I got, so I'm, there's, I'm, like, these I'm putting l- it together now yeah so the, the the idea of like oh you know this this republican youth is like uh, the people of 1916 are still fighting in your head in your head zombie and like complete ignoring and rewriting of the history of what Northern Ireland was like from like 1923 till 1970. And like, no, (laughs) there was no other reason why like an entire community of people took up arms. It was just because they, they wanted to cosplay as like people from 1916 Easter rising. And I was like, you sure? (laughs) You sure that's what was happening? Um, Again, this kind of like that that is a that is a powerful talk about global things like liberals thinking anyone with like radical politics is cosplaying because there must be yeah. there's no other reason why you would do that it's it has to be personal yeah. um, um neuroses yeah, yeah, yeah or just like the the kind of like anti elite populism is like why would they hate the elite they must be racist there's no reason <laughs> to hate the elite <laughs> maybe uh, they it's because they haven't read enough books. <laughs> yes yes they didn't get high enough grades at school yeah or nowadays um, it would be you didn't watch this i don't know the right uh youtube video explaining what's going on um but like our understanding of alliance also leads us into uh because those wider longer trends that i talked about of the progressiveness of the prosperity that definitely is the kind of thing that would sway alliance alliance types mm-hmm. to becoming republicans basically um that joining a modern capitalist ireland is um maybe better money for me as a member of the professional managerial class and 
you know, it'd be nice if like my gay friends could have got married in Belfast rather than Dublin, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Like, um, all valid reasons, I think, as far as it, well, the, the, the making money, well, wait until they figure out what the economic hellhole Ireland actually is, but still. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, like, we keep joining, we keep joining capitalist countries and it turns out that they keep, that they're prone to crises and have like no stable uh, <laughs> future. <laughs> How does this keep happening? We keep stepping on oh, these rakes. <laughs> Well, let's try again. Iceland? All right. <laughs> yeah, staying, staying in the UK is the it's the meme where staying in the UK is stepping on the rake and joining Ireland is doing the kickflip and then stepping on the rake. But I guess the, the socially progressive stuff is, like I think, genuine. I, I'm yeah. going to be like sympathetic to that point of view. One thing I'll circle back to, though, just because you mentioned like it's all, it's like it seems absurd that like that progressivism like can mix with an apartheid state but like that kind of is progressivism in a funny way like that's progressivism sans like socialism is like it's actually like explicitly been i mean it was developed in the u.s in the late 1800s precisely because like the radicalism of the like civil war and reconstruction period is like was crushed and faded away and given up upon and you know from a bunch of different angles and then they're like well, okay, we're progressives now. We just want to like fix the system and make it better. And obviously that kind of like liberal progressivism uh, works in Israel. Um, my, my favorite, the, the, the legal opposition to the in, in, uh, apartheid South Africa was called the Progressive Party. Like they were the like, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the Washington generals to the Harlem Globetrotters, like the people there being yeah. like, oh, you know, we sh it should be better than this. And so it's... What what at first seems like a glaring uh, anachronism is actually like no that's that's about right that's if you have like you know a kind yeah. of apartheid state which is you know I like just from like a world historical scope is like one of the best uh, antidotes to like class organizing that has existed you know just like yeah. throw everyone in a new <laughs> settle a new place everyone forgets about all those old um, you know relations of uh, of of class and you know fight about this new stuff. And what comes out yeah, of that yeah. is is progressivism, actually. The uh, uh, I guess to like you can even take examples that don't rely on like uh, an apartheid existence. You can get like the a great example would be just I think we were talking about it a couple of episodes ago with like Denmark and their like integration classes of just like the native white Danish population kind of feigns this progressiveness by like trapping a muslim refugee in a room showing them a picture of a danish woman and then yelling respect her at her <laughs> for like <laughs> and just like yeah look, look we're, we're we're more feminist than uh the these unwashed muslim masses and it's just mm -hmm. like that you could maybe pick one random dane and one random syrian refugee and that might be true and it doesn't really justify like the terrible weird immigration programs you're implementing <laughs> they denmark actually does it like uh father ted when he's trying to prove he's not racist and it's just a picture of a <laughs> danish woman and then respect her for a split second on screen um god yeah those integration classes are just fucking weird um very patronizing nonsense but an understanding of alliance is also good because that pivots into uh, the other kind of crisis of unionism at the moment, which is the kind of electoral institutional crisis of unionism. Uh, I guess one that I forgot to put in my mention the list, but I did mention it earlier, is just like 
the de- like the parliamentary unionist machine did try to get like all the unionists to vote for Brexit and that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> like a good portion of the unionist population was like no that's fucking stupid. Um so mm-hmm. like yeah there, that's like maybe in the terms of like a signal and terminal crisis that's maybe your signal crisis of like oh you don't have like control of your supposed majority base anymore yeah yeah it's like the uh, emperor's has no clothes kind of like you know if i didn't tell them to do anything you can keep up the charade but then once it's forced uh yeah, you know a decision forces your hand then what's this here <laughs> um as far as i understand the majority of like the unionist community did overwhelmingly vote for brexit but like they are still the majority in Northern Ireland, and because majority of Northern Ireland didn't vote for Brexit, then whoopsie daisy. Um, but we can get into a brief history electorally because you've the unionists in Northern Ireland politically are willing to drop parties like a fucking sack of bricks. Like the UUP, the Ulster Unionist Party, is gone now, like effectively destroyed. Um, they, I think, were, like, weirdly kind of social democratic as well. So there's your, like, progressive apartheid state nonsense. Um, if you want to fix it on that. But, like, they were kind of, like, destroyed. And I think if you asked anyone in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s, oh, like, you, can you envision a Northern Ireland without the UUP? They probably would have said no. <laughs> They're here forever, baby. <laughs> um and to take their place was the DUP, the Democratic Unionist Party, which was a bit more like saying the, lou- the quiet part loud of unionism. Um, but polling for them has not been going great. There is like a a, a six point. There was a six recently. There was like a six point lead for Sinn Fein. Um, they're one point away in the polls from Alliance, just nipping at their heels. Um, a party that's kind of like historically not been very good, but uh, or like not done well, but do meet the demographics of people who would vote DUP. Like they would appeal to that kind of like comfortable, bougie, middle-class unionist mm. because they are also a party of kind of like status quo. And then you also have from the right, you have TUV um, as being like the more, say, the quiet, power loud unionist party of aggressive right wing and probably from the perspective of the paramilitaries a little less quote-unquote cucked um that's like that's all stuff that's coming out in the polls but also there was a uh leaked minutes from a dup party member meeting of south antrim or was it south antrim or south armagh can't quite remember but like where they were just like these are all concerns we have we're we're kind of like fucked in the polls um and we don't really have a way out of this so yeah Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of another problem as well where the dup could be replaced by what has always been like a soft unionist party despite like alliance saying they were never like not they were non-sectarian um but by being soft unionist and having some people from like catholic and republican backgrounds in their like senior party membership and amongst their base blah 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 i think they do kind of like they're just not ideologically committed to unionism as like a cultural practice like they're very willing to distance themselves from the paramilitaries they do not give a fuck about marching season that kind of thing and then you could theoretically persuade them 
to republicanism with this like with these arguments of prosperity and progressiveness mm-hmm. so meet the then then where does that leave because we've seen some quotes that say like this is like the the last gasp or like uh like going out fighting kind of thing um for yeah. like a yeah like a a violent or militant uh unionist movement and does that mean I don't know what what does that look like then is there is there going to be look a lot of violence in the coming days and then some um reorganization yeah. I mean it's always safe to bet that it's a long the crisis drags out longer than <laughs> than you expect um yeah. but yeah it, it does seem like everything's pointing away from that <laughs> right yeah I mean there's also the like there's also the other one that like nationalists and republicans have gleaned to for a very long time of like the demographics question mm-hmm. of just like uh the majority that unionists have had in northern ireland has always been like very slim i think it's always been like historically 50 55 to 45 kind of thing and the whole demographics thing is just like yeah the the, the catholics fuck more what did we expect from like a religion that like says don't use contraception um and there's this thing of just like yeah they're they're willing to like uh, they're going to stay. I think that's also like a, a, a class politics thing as well, because like their Catholics are tend to lean in Northern Ireland to being more disenfranchised and therefore have less opportunities to leave the country and just kind of like have to stay. Whereas I think the more like middle class, a somewhat apolitical quote unquote soft unionists are more likely to go to London basically mm-hmm. um, for work and whatnot. Um, in in the long term of the future, I can totally envision, like as I said earlier, the LCC still kind of has control of the paramilitaries and like are coordinating things and can can kind of control the rioters. I can kind of see them gravitating towards TUV, uh, traditional unionist voice, is what that stands for. Which that's a lot of words that are setting off horrifying alarms in my head. <laughs> <laughs> but even the, I, not to like downplay the threat, but even the like voice is like, we can't really do much, but we can yell in a lot, you know, and like, <laughs> because it's like, what are you all fighting for when this is the like, you know, like, no, like, you know what I mean? Like if there's um, mm. like, no matter how many, you know, Molotov cocktails you throw, you're bringing manufacturing back, you know? And if and like it seems like deep down there's a recognition that like yeah you know but that's that's our role here we're just here to you know say we're on your side and that's what sectarianism does like you know just to be like well yeah. at least we're gonna yell for you or yeah, or right. even even more like to be even be more precise than yell for you yell for this identity which you are we agree good <laughs> um. It's really funny because I, I also like I'm on their Wikipedia page and the second thing the Wikipedia page is like the traditional unionist voice TUV Irish Gutachunta in Tokach and I'm just like they're probably really pissed at the Irish translation of their name is on their Wikipedia page because <laughs> they do not want that. Um, uh. Maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe they're trying to like bring in the the cultural Catholics. Um, I can like in the future kind of see they kind of close like closing ranks a collapse of the DUP um because the DUP also has like internal problems of just like being backbiting weirdos and like being massively self-interested to the point of being like transparently against the interests of the people who vote for them um and like kind of riddled with scandals so 
again, I, I'm not surprised that their base is like moving to Alliance and TUV. Um, and then I can imagine TUV just becoming this like weird quasi-fash party that's like very much associated with the LLC and maybe in a handful of years just being kind of like regarded in the same way like the NPD in Germany is regarded of just like mm. that problem over there that we don't really like to talk about. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, so anything else about the unionists? Um, that's about all we want to say on the topic. We have a few like, you know, what's responses from other groups. Um, mm. But about unionism in general, like, I mean, no matter what happens, it seems like that there will be some violence, right? Like this probably isn't going away. Yeah, I think the, the like we kind of alluded to already, the, the real kind of like horror or slight horror that's happening here is that the loyalist paramilitaries are not really any kind of political control because whatever you can say about the DUP is that like when they were in control, they would stop them for personal interest and their personal interest would just be like doing public procurement scandals. Um, whereas now I think the, the article kind of uses the reference, like the metaphor of like the dog off the leash kind of situation, the dangerous dog off the leash. It, that is kind of what has happened to the loyalist paramilitaries and they're co co coordinating and controlling themselves or whatever. But like, this is a problem. And, um, they have their own ideological commitments and then they have the non-ideological commitments of like their weird like drugs like rings and like uh, 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 weapons dealing scandals and so or like weapon dealing businesses that they kind of have. Um, so the whole thing is going to become very, very weird and very like gross and horrible. But like, yeah, yeah, it's like a whole thing to watch out for. Um, I think we kind of said that earlier, but I just want to reiterate that point that the, like the political side of this is kind of like the parliamentary political side of this has kind of lost control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, as Rob said, uh, we can briefly just talk about responses on the ground um, of like stuff that's happening. Naturally enough, when loyalists kind of get out there and get violent, especially young loyalists, Catholic youth and nationalist youth, have a tendency to turn out uh, at the interface areas that I mentioned earlier, the places where like two communities meet. Um, this is kind of like a, a self-defense mechanism show of strength being like, we're, we're going to be here. If you, if you try to come in and start shit, we are going to be here to fight back. Um, so yeah, that's what's happening. Many voices in Northern Ireland, uh, unionist, Republican, apolitical, are kind of encouraging these people to um, stay inside and not to contribute to a supposed like cycle of violence. Um, it's it's very difficult to know if that's good advice or not, um, because if rocks are thrown back and forth, then any inc any incidents um, of innocents being hit by like Catholic rocks uh, will be blown up by the media uh, as they want to do um it's worth pointing out that like re republican community leaders are very like openly saying this like the the, the kind of like republican community or republicans within northern ireland are very aware that like the media is not in our pocket they are not in our corner if we step out of line things are going to get bad which is i think very telling and i i'm a tendency to believe them um 
and that this is probably what the loyalist youth and LLC types want to happen. Um, you know, escalate things so they can justify responses. But that being said, again, self-defense is important. Like, projectiles are being thrown over peace walls, into communities. This is people trying to attack people's homes. This is not people... This is not, like, the troubles where people are going after, like, military targets or businesses and things like that. Mm. This is, like... This is... Not to use an overused word, but this is, like, terror. This is going after, you know, your nan's house or whatever. Um... And these communities also don't trust the police to help or be on their side or help quickly enough, whatever. So yeah, I generally find that like, I don't read, I really don't know what my take is on that, to be honest, of like whether people should go out and try to show like a, a sense of defense to like the rioting loyalists. I genuinely don't know. Um yeah, I trust people to make the, the best decision. I know some, like, communist organizations up there who are also going out to act as, like, an intermediary third party of just, like, standing in between uh, two communities to not let things escalate. And I trust them to know that's the best tactic, I guess. Um, sure. Yeah. Um. Sinn Féin are calling on you know, like unionist political leaders to be responsible, um, which I think we've kind of talked about beforehand of what that might really work um, now anymore. Um, the DUP are trying to use this, as I said earlier, as like a wedge to abolish the Northern Irish Protocol of just like... Like we kind of alluded to earlier that they've kind of lost control of the situation, but they're not they are going to capitalize it much in the same way that Boris will probably try to capitalize this in like use against Brussels. Um, we can, we'll see for sure how much that strategy is implemented in the next coming days. But like DUP have already kind of like made statements on local media and press and stuff being like, you know, we warned you that this would happen if there was a border in between Northern Ireland and Britain. So, yeah. Um, I, w- I have one question that's a little, yeah. Um, just before we get to the unions that sorry this is out of left field but like I think a lot of people outside observers look at this like well the uh, uh, Britain or England or you know the government really cared about defending you know um, you know maintaining this uh, division in Ireland um, that's why there were soldiers there and all that and now they don't care anymore. Or like, yeah, like they'd like it, but they've given up on Ireland or something. Is that like, what explains that? Other than like, is it like a, I would assume like, not not a Cold War mentality, but like a, you know what I mean? Like a def- almost like a leftover of like, we are projecting this world power. We have to defend our um, overseas dominions, you know, literally in this case. Um, and now it's like, post you know whatever today is post neoliberal neo neoliberal something (laughs) um you know what i mean like what's what explains that from the from the you know london's point of view of just like why even bother keeping northern ireland you mean well like is a i guess i guess a is that like an accurate assessment what people say like they used to care a lot and now they don't care as much and b Uh, why if that's the case so 
I'm not sure if anyone has really talked about this, but like the Troubles in Northern Ireland was kind of Cold War-ish. Like there was a lot of these accusations Makes of like, sense. the Soviets funding the IRA and things like that. Mm. But um, it's mainly because that wasn't true <laughs> is um, why that conflict continued past the end of the Cold War. Um, so that's like an interesting th- angle there. No, that makes perfect sense, I, though. I mean, I, I, I kind of threw Cold War out there and took it back, but I do think that so many of these states operated from that Cold War logic. Like, um, oh, yeah. that was certainly the case with so many. Like, the, the U.S. was always obsessed that, like, uh, you know, communist China was directly funding all these groups in the U.S., which, like, they weren't. You know, <laughs> they, they <don't>. yeah. <laughs> it, Well, it was like, a, what was the guy who wrote the Jakarta Method who was like, um, the Cold War was not a war of the like the first world against the second world. It was a war of the first world against the third world, claiming the second world was already there, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like you know, if you wanted to kill a CIA agent, just send him on an operation to Albania. <laughs> <laughs> like these things didn't work. Um, but the yeah, it, it's it is interesting. All I can all I can really state about that is that. London is kind of like shook. Not about this in particular, but like, I'm not sure if you saw any of this, but like Boris Johnson's like infrastructure plan of like, we're going to build a bridge between Scotland okay. and Northern Ireland, or we're going to build. Oh, a hell yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why well, I don't think it's necessarily directly related to Northern Ireland itself. Although maybe it is because like the DUP have also kind of been historically, now propping up the Tories, there was a thing that happened um, in the like you know that election where Corbyn did quite well. Uh, I want to say mm. that was the 2017 election. Yeah, uh, I think where so. The Tories were forced to work with the DUP, and like everyone on the BBC was like, "The fuck is a DUP?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> is basically the response. Um, so we're pointing out that like a lot of people within the UK, both politically and culturally, just do not care or know about Northern Ireland. Um, like you ask people, you give people a blank map of the island of Ireland. They've done this before, like Vox Pop type of things, and they ask them to like draw the borders of where Northern Ireland is, and they'll just like do the most insane shit. Um, they don't know their own country. <laughs> it's very funny, but um, but there is like an insecurity about the union, I think, from London's perspective, and I'd say that's largely fueling this. Um, yeah. Because, like, any engineer who looks at the fucking bridge between Northern Ireland and Scotland can tell you that that is completely unfeasible. Um, that ocean is, like, stupidly deep. <laughs> stupidly fucking deep. Yeah. It, like, it can't be done. It is, like, um, the ocean. Like, it's not like a bay or anything, which often is the case. Yeah. With these. <laughs> well, people are, like, people compare it to the channel. They're, like, oh, we did the channel. And then, like, everyone's just, like... Yeah, but the channel isn't, like, again, like, this is, like, four times as deep as uh, uh, the English Channel. And it's also made of limestone, which is, like, Mm. apparently just, like, stupidly impossible to, like, construct within, especially when water is involved. Um, It's limestone. Stupidly weak rock. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm not even kidding. I always mix it up. Limestone is the one that that water dissolves, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And that's uh, the 
gener- the the GPO, the General Post Office in Ireland, like a famous historic landmark uh, in Dublin, is made of limestone, the facade. And if you ever see any aerial shots close up, that fucking building is melting. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't build things out of limestone. Um, like not without like, definitely not. Don't put a fucking train through it. Jesus. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but I, I would say everything, like any insecurity from London about Northern Ireland is like projection over Scotland, probably. Mm-hmm. And as we discussed uh, when we had the Rupture Radio lads on, uh, the cultural connection between Northern Ireland and the UK, the rest of the UK, for the Unionists, is more Scotland than it is England. And there's Ah, uh, like, yeah. True. Yeah. And there's real questions of what would happen to Northern Ireland if Scotland left. I think there's also like this uh, domino effect fear from London that if like one goes, the rest are gone. Yeah. I guess the, the other way to frame it is because I, I, I frame the question in a mostly ideological way. Like, why did they have a Cold War mentality mm. and they don't anymore? But maybe the better way to frame it, and this, you know, tracks with a lot of what we know about, you know, neoliberal state governance is that like they care, but like, what is it going to turn into like, you know, uh, like occupying Iraq, like, you know, to keep Northern (laughs) Ireland in the union, like just states are kind of like wary of that direct um, occupation or like. Whereas that was just the norm in like, you know, the 70s and 80s. It's like, yep, you know, just <laughs> they fought a war with the Falkland <laughs> Islands back then. You know, it's like it's, times have changed in just like the statecraft point of view. Like the yeah, buttons I mean, like, don't have like if you press the buttons don't do the same things they used to do in the in the uh, giant. Yeah, uh, yeah. I imagine there's a, it looks like, a, you know, like an like flying an airplane when you sit in 10 Downing Street. <laughs> no i think it's more like one of those books you get for children that's like the dog the dog goes wolf <laughs> and, now when, and now when you press it it goes the dog goes <laughs> um i have a kid so <laughs> uh, that's where that joke's coming from but the i think you're right there's also like this weird it's very hard to kind of like occupy the state or maintain the state with the logic of like yeah with the logic of neoliberalism like it it, this isn't going to look like when this isn't going to look like when the u.s occupied west germany it's going to look like when the u.s occupied iraq (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. it's going to be very weird because there's also like coupled in with this is the logic of austerity like one of the things a lot of people are talking about now with like the violent response of the people from like shankill uh, the like left behind Protestant communities is like investing in those areas. It's like, cool. That'd be great. If you didn't have like a bunch of people in charge who are so ideologically opposed to investing in anything <laughs> that isn't just like one of their mates they went to school with um, is just like a problem that can't solve itself. So the only solution is probably going to be more cops. Um, mm. And that will be fun. Cause that seems to be the solution for the rest of the UK uh, at the moment for like, yeah yeah like that woman like oh, jesus the whole like, we have talked about it on the show but like the woman being kidnapped on the street by a cop and the solution from the british government is plain clothes cops in nightclubs and it's mm. just like what are, what are you doing <laughs> yeah um yeah the, so. the other the other thing is that um there's another aspect of like the like what states exert their military energy on is like you know global supply chains it's like you do you have oil lithium even like otherwise you're you're a surplus population to be policed and you know used uh you know kept kept as a piggy bank 
you know, a piggy yep. bank of people. Uh, I don't know. Maybe limestone will power so like the hyperloop or something. But until then, <laughs> yeah. you don't have anything like Musk that. Musk tweets something about limestone. Something <laughs> like uh, Trident is used for the first time on like Lisburn or whatever. Um, yeah. So I think the last thing I want to say about responses is some kind of like silver lining and possibly like I think a path for the future, which is unions and labor organizations within Northern Ireland. One of the first responses after the, uh, you know, petrol bomb was kind of like thrown at this bus was all the transport unions in Northern Ireland protest the Belfast government, uh, like blocked the building and whatnot being like, I think their demands initially was like better protection for our bus drivers and stuff like that. Like how the fuck did you let this happen? Kind of thing. Um, which is good. I mean, I would certainly feel better if I was that bus driver. Um, For sure. But like, could go further. Could, the unions are strictly anti-sectarian. They are populated by Catholic workers and Protestant workers. Although, again, from one of the crises, crises of unionism is there is more Catholic workers uh, in these kind of organizations than there are Protestant workers. Um just because of the demographics again, I guess. And, but while being very anti-sectarian, they're also very Mm anti-political. And their demands don't really go beyond anything that isn't their immediate interest. It would be nice, as the article kind of stated, if any of these unions got out there and was like, basically just called on their union membership and other union membership to say like no fuck off with your like sectarian nonsense this is mm-hmm. bullshit fuck off stop letting your 18 year olds get like orders from some sort of weird sclerotic drug dealer <laughs> from the falls like i mean stop it just stop it we need more union muscle like like even just if this is if this had happened like going back to like if this had happened in the 50s of those, like, you know, Porsche authorities getting threats from, like, UDA types. Um, like, yeah, if you do a customs check on this thing that's going to Scotland, I will fucking murder you. Some fucking souped-up Italians would have come now, being like, hey, you causing <laughs> problems here? Yeah, my my boy, John Johnny McConnell, he's, he's a good union boy. What are you mm-hmm, doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, yeah. I guess this gets at... Um... What I see is interesting about the situation where when you say the unions are anti-sectarian and anti-political, it treats it almost as if it's one and the same, you know, to get political mm, would yes. be to get sectarian. And so long as like sectarian fills the gap of like, this is politics, this is political organizing that, mm. that, you know, like a, like a real politic, a class politic or whatever, like a, like a forward force, um, can't really emerge. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's even, like, there's even something to say without even going into, like, the class stuff, like, and you're 100% right about that. There's even a reluctance to even let your politics be anti-sectarianism. Because, like, even in a sectarian uh, society, um, or, like, historically sectarian, however you want to describe Northern Ireland, um, anti-sectarianism purely, without any other critique, is still capable of being a politics. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't have to... You don't have to get into the whole cool based like like socialist syndicalist stuff without being like 
hey, cut out the sectarian nonsense. Like that, mm-hmm. that can still be a decent step forward. Yeah, I re- I feel like I don't know the best way to put this, but like I really feel that politics in a lot of cases is like almost like removing the barrier, like like the the first step that like kind of allows people to like get over like an impasse that which is why people support like nationalist movements uh mm. in the global south or like i mean let's uh, to take a better uh or a clearer example let's look at nationalist movements and like in the third world back in the 40s 50s and 60s like they were very broad based but it's like yeah it's not necessarily about nationalism per se but it's sort of like this is the first step to opening something new um and that is also a politics it doesn't give you all the answers right sometimes there's hard work to be done after that but like in the same way i don't know nationalist is a charged word in this context but like anti-sectarian does something similar like it's almost like uh, shedding the the sclerotic politics of the of the of the past you know like just Mm. just like shaking the etch-a-sketch or starting over is already like such a freeing feeling that it's like oh maybe it is possible to like, you know, have agency in the world and direct and, you know, make our lives better and this and that, whatever it might be. Yeah. Well, there you go. That was a, that was an hour and a half discussion of what's happening in Northern Ireland from the perspective of a yank and a free stater. Yeah. Thank so, you. Le- um... Thank you for letting me pick your brain and ask you dumb questions, Kieran. It was fun. Uh, thank you for letting me uh, seem like an authority on this topic. Mm. I'm, okay. I cannot stress enough how much my generation was like, discouraged from ever like thinking about the north <laughs> talking about the north um it'll turn you into a it, it, it'll make you get blow stuff up if you think about it you have yeah to be exactly it's like oh uh, careful kira got into the fenianism like, again like <laughs> oh damn it um yeah but it, it, it's it's i feel very uncomfortable and uh, if I said some wrong or completely out of base shit, uh, DM me, but be nice about it. Uh, but yeah, see you on the bonus feed. Ciao, ciao. Bye, everyone.